Poppin' the Christian Bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by, well, no one, because we're still small. But someday, hopefully, by companies like Apple and Amazon. Carol Baskins wants to set the record straight. Kanye teams up with Chick-fil-A to feed a bunch of people. A woman spends $20,000 on tattoos. Next month, NASA plans its first manned mission to space in over nine years. And finally, we look at an ancient prayer dating back to 407 AD. All this and more on today's edition of the Cultured Christian Podcast. Coming to you from the KBBN studios in beautiful suburban Detroit. It's episode nine. Thanks, guys, for tuning in today. We have another great show lined up for you, which I am super geeked to share. And before we get started, just a few housekeeping things. First off, I just want to share some excitement and kind of uh, whet your appetite that we have some really cool things in the work for the next few episodes coming up. I have some interviews that are in the hopper. I have some special topics and things that we're going to be uh, talking about and some new things coming to the podcast. That is all that I'm going to say. And as I mentioned last week, we do now have an Instagram account. If you haven't followed us at Cultured Christians, please do follow us on our Instagram page and start sharing things and helping us there get the word out. But I do want to tell you up front, one of my friends uh, gave me a little tip. When they searched for Cultured Christians on Instagram, they actually found, they discovered another Cultured Christian account, not plural. So Cultured Christian, apparently somebody back in 2018 had a similar idea for a podcast. But ironically, when I search for the actual podcast, there is none. So it sounds like they may have started and then deleted everything or they never started the actual podcast, but they do have an Instagram page. And so more power to those people. But I just wanted to make sure that you knew that our Instagram page is cultured Christians with an S. All of our socials will always be in the plural form. And the idea there is that here on the podcast, you're listening to me, the cultured Christian, and then out there in the social world, it is a community. And so there is the plural. So you find us on Reddit, uh, Facebook, and as well on Instagram at cultured Christians. And so please follow, like us, and share our stuff there. As always, we love to be interacting with you out in those spaces. Now, first up in our culture section today, we have to talk about Tiger King. I promise this will be the last time. Some of you are beyond over done with talking about Tiger King, and that's totally fine. But I just had to comment on two more things related to uh, the Tiger King, and that is they released a new episode, which I watched. It's not really an episode. It's more of like an interview from quarantine. They went back and talked to a few of the characters. But if you weren't aware of that and you're a big Tiger King fan, check that out on Netflix. They added it, I think, last week, maybe two weeks ago now. But if you're like me, what I find more interesting, perhaps, than the show, I mean, obviously the show has entertainment value. It's funny. It's odd. It's got all sorts of tension. But what's interesting to me is looking into the real-life story. 
So finding out online some of the backstory, because obviously Netflix, like any good uh, entertainment service, kind of bent some things and tried to, you know, manipulate stories a little bit to make it interesting. And so I always find, you know, the little detective in me to go back and read uh, some of the stuff that Carol is saying, some of the different characters on the show are saying. And so Carol is not having it. She does not like all this negative press that's coming in. And one of which I have to play this clip for those that haven't heard it. This is one of the uh, songs, one of many songs attached to memes and videos and TikToks. Uh, so let's let's check this out first. Carol Baskin. Killed her, husband, whacked him. Can't convince me that it didn't happen. Fed them to tigers, they snacking. What's happening? Carol Baskin. <laughs> now that just has comedic value for so many reasons. That guy's creative. If you've seen the show, it has all the more effect. But if you've Google searched Carol Baskin you know, on Google, Google auto completes that sentence. And can you guess when you type in Carol Baskins, what is the number one auto completed search on Google? Did she kill her husband? That is what everybody is asking. And so it's, I'm sure from Carol's perspective, if you didn't kill your husband, it's pretty disconcerting, to put it lightly, that that has become what the entire world is asking now after watching this uh, documentary. And so we don't really know the answer to that. It's clear from the evidence in the Netflix series that her husband, or first husband, I should say, she did remarry, uh, disappeared, went off the map, went on some trip, and literally disappeared. Well, recently, Carol has actually posted a bunch of YouTube videos trying to set the record straight. She answers questions why she never took a polygraph after her husband's disappearance. She shares the supposed real story behind why the Tiger King portrayed her as someone who went after Joe's poor mother and father. And there's a few videos there. More issues are brought up. And so, as usual, I'll send the link there for you to check them out. If you, again, like me, want to dig a little deeper into the backstory and the real-life people depicted in the documentary Tiger King. Now, speaking of famous people, you may have heard of someone named Kanye West. Have you ever heard of that guy? If you're a Christian, of course you've heard, because in the last year he, well, joined our team, if you will. He is now a self-proclaimed Christian and has put himself in the forefront of Christian celebrity doing these, uh, this album, Jesus is King, and these Sunday services. And I always love these stories when Christian or non-Christian, when celebrities use their uh, famous stature and their money, their big bank accounts to do good in the world. We've got to always celebrate that sort of thing. And I just recently read an article uh, that Kanye West and Chick-fil-A uh, team up with the Los Angeles Dream Center to provide 300,000 meals. That's 11,000 meals a day in the Los Angeles area through Chick-fil-A. 
that is some awesome, awesome stuff happening down in LA in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. They're also providing hand sanitizer to people who need meals and food uh, out there in the Los Angeles County area. Way to go, Kanye. Keep it up. What a model for other Christian celebrities and Christians in general. We should be giving, we should be seeking out ways to help our neighbors as much as we can during this uh, crazy time in which we live. Now, I had mentioned on our last episode that, like many of you, I was running out of things to watch. And so I asked you to give me some ideas of things to watch. And this week, I checked out a new documentary, kind of one of those, how do you say, drama documentaries on Waco and what happened back in 1993 in Waco, Texas. These Branch Davidians led by a cult leader, um, David Koresh. And so this is a dramatized, I believe, nine, ten-part series that started on Showtime, I believe it was, a two, two years ago. A few of my friends caught it when it was on cable. But now it's on wide release through uh, Netflix. And it was one of those that I started the first episode, and I was like, nah, I'm giving this about a C-. I'm not super into it. And then just as it went on, I was drawn in. I was like, wait, did this really happen the way that this show is portraying? And the other side note is Macaulay Culkin is in this show. Like, Macaulay Culkin is one of the characters. So distracting. No, I'm kidding. It's not Macaulay Culkin. But there's a guy, if you've seen the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that one of the characters in this Waco documentary uh, looks like a spitting image of Macaulay Culkin. Like, if it was Macaulay Culkin's brother, I would not be surprised because he looks so similar to him. But yeah, so I was 13 in 93 when this happened, and of course I was made aware of it. Like much of the country, I knew it was a situation down there, and crap hit the fan. It was a messy situation. People died in a horrible fire, but I didn't know much in the way of details. I didn't know much about the Branch Davidians. I just thought, you know, like the news kind of told us that this was a cult and they needed to be stopped and they had armor, weapons, and they were mistreating the children and just needed to be stopped, frankly. And they were breaking laws of polygamy and child abuse and different things going on. The guns that they had were illegal, all this stuff. And so the the ATF moved in and then the FBI and it became this huge siege for like 60 days. And it just after watching this series and then I did kind of go back to see it's written. What's cool about this series and why I think it's worth a watch is it's not like a conspiracy theory. It's not just some guy who's like, oh, here's this dramatized but it was actually by one of the FBI negotiators and another man, their two books. So it's kind of like the combination of two books with people who had firsthand accounts with what happened on the scene there in Waco. And so there is a lot of detail that comes out in the way that the government just really screwed this situation up. And like often the government does, then there was cover-up, there was lies, there were things that happened just a, not not the finest day for the FBI or the ATF. It really shows how messy this thing got. And not that there wasn't any crimes or negative things happening from the Branch Davidian side. This guy was a cult leader, in my opinion. 
And he could have stopped it way earlier and kept pushing this idea of a sign from God and he's going to do the seven seals and just all this crazy twisting of scripture. And he could have saved a lot of people's lives if he just walked out or if he just left early on. Now, as it moves on, it gets a little crazy. Um, and I get him fearing for his life because of some trigger happy, you know, FBI or ATF agent. But once again, that guy could have laid down his pride and saved. I think it was 73 people that died, if my memory's correct. And half of them were children. Like, I think that's the thing that just hit the nation. Once the news heard that there were children gassed and burned, that's part of what just turned everybody's stomach, that this horrible thing happened on American soil and just not something we want to repeat. So it is an emotional roller coaster. It's a little heavier than I thought it would be. But if you're into those kind of historical uh, drama documentaries, check out Waco on Netflix. I think it's uh, worth a watch. All right. For our final culture story this week, what would you do with $20,000? Now, many of us, most of us listening to this are in America and we just got stimulus checks. Hopefully you got your stimulus check and that's been, you know, hopefully very helpful for you to pay bills and, you know, kind of use it for the good of your family and for yourself. But what if that check that was deposited into your account was for $20,000? What would you do with $20,000? Well, Amber from New South Wales down in Australia, she spent $20,000 on tattoos tattoos inked up her entire body pretty much went from zero to full-on full-body tattoos you've got to see the pictures in this link that i'm sharing with you it's crazy to see her before and after shots i mean we're talking like full-on face tattoos okay crazy crazy spending that kind of money and just going like all in with tattoos is wow. My opinion, tattoos, not that any of you care, is less is more. Okay. I have a tattoo, one tattoo. It's significant in size. It's on my upper right arm. I can cover it up with a shirt. I think less is more. Just the more that I see like full sleeves or like you know, I can appreciate the artwork, but I just think when it comes to tattoos, especially parts of your body that are always visible, less is more. And so, again, if you have a tattoo or even if you have a full sleeve, no judgment here. I'm just giving my my opinions, my thoughts. Christians are often there are many Christians who are so anti uh, tattoos and they go to the Old Testament Leviticus and talk about how we shouldn't tattoo our bodies, not going to go there today. But I think most of us would agree that spending $20,000 and taking what was a beautiful woman and just covering up her entire body with tattoos is, well, a little bit excessive. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think it's okay? I mean, obviously it's okay, but do you think we should do that? Spend $20,000? Ugh, I wouldn't. In tech news this week, NASA announced last Friday that they are planning their first manned mission to space in nine years. Nine years. They are partnering up with SpaceX. SpaceX will be the launch vehicle. And on Wednesday, May 27th at 432, 
at the beautiful Florida Kennedy Space Center, they are launching people, human beings, into outer space. Outer space, folks. It'll be the first time that NASA has sent anybody up in nine years since the space shuttle program was ended. Now, I should say they're not going anywhere super cool like the moon or Mars. They're just going to the International Space Station. And over the last few years, we have been sending American astronauts to space. But since the space shuttle program got canceled, we have been paying $86 million per seat to fly on Russian spacecraft. So we've actually been sending our astronauts to the ISS, International Space Station, via Russia's launch vehicles. And so SpaceX, becoming a company here back in the United States, sending our astronauts to the space station, I think is a great move. And guess what? Is cheaper. We're going to save money and send those important astronauts back up to the space station. Um, so I think that's cool news. There's also planned missions. You know, ever since uh, Donald Trump became president in 2016, he revived a lot of the uh, NASA program stuff that Obama had shut down. And so space is kind of back in the focus, and there is a lot of cool things happening, a lot of cool things planned, including a mission, a manned mission back to the moon, and as well a future planned mission to Mars. And as I've said previously, man, do I hope that happens in my lifetime. That would be so flippin' cool to put a man or woman on the red planet. Now, speaking of the International Space Station, from an article a few months back, I was interested to learn that throughout the year, coming from Russia, Japan, and even the United States, they are periodically sending supplies up to these astronauts who live on the space station year, literally year-round. And so they are obviously sending a bunch of equipment and gear that they need. And there was this one shipment recently, back in February, that was a four-ton shipment that went to the ISS. But what was interesting is beyond the gear and the instrument stuff that they're sending, they also sent up some cheese fresh fruit and vegetables, chocolate, and three kinds of gummy candy candy that these uh, astronauts wanted. They wanted Skittles, hot tamales, and Mike and Ikes. So yes, candy is in outer space, folks. There are people off-planet who are eating uh, some of your favorite candies. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting story seeing what people are eating 254 miles above our planet. All right, in our final tech story of the day, I am going to wade into an issue that is controversial, and I understand there are going to be people listening to the sound of my voice who will uh, maybe disagree with me, maybe be on the other side of this issue, and that's totally cool. I welcome people on this podcast with differing political even views on the stuff that I'm sharing related to culture, that sort of thing. We're not a political podcast. We're always going to be focused on culture, technology, and faith. Sometimes they overlap a little bit, and this is one of those topics. So first, the good news. The good news is that largely the COVID-19 crisis is past its peak. The scientists agree we have flattened the curve, which is great, incredible, awesome. The numbers of death 
in our country have been far, far less than what the models were projecting just 60 days ago. This is great news, and we need to park here. We need to stop and acknowledge that because of social distancing, because of the bad numbers that we were given from China, and sure, maybe we as a nation were a week or two behind how we should have responded. Again, not going to get into that, but we can park here for a moment and just celebrate and be glad that the numbers are going down. It's working. Now, what's happening in our country, however, is we continue to be under self-quarantine, self-isolation, lockdown. Depending on which state governor you're listening to, we remain in the situation where we cannot go to work. We cannot go out of our homes unless it's for essential things like going to the grocery store, going to care for a loved one, things like that, filling up our gas tank, going to get carry out food, that sort of thing. Now, what's starting to happen in especially the states that have more of excessive, what I would call and what many call the term excessive quarantine, meaning there is much more things locked down, more things that we cannot do, things that many people feel are just, well, ridiculous because they don't really stop the spread. But governors have decided those activities are also prohibited and you could be ticketed or jailed for doing those things. There are some in this country who feel like that's stepping on your constitutional rights, that what's different about the United States than, say, a country like China or India or Russia or Korea, either Korea uh, or even uh, European countries, is that we are the land of the free, that we are unique in the world, that we have individual human rights rights, things that were bestowed upon us by our creator. And so people are now protesting and largely their workers who are out of work, who are going to their state capitals and protesting this uh, excessive quarantine, saying, reopen our state. My small business is going to go under. My mother needs a kidney transplant, and her hospital is no longer doing elective surgeries. All these different things are coming up. And so my point today is not at all to debate whether or not we should reopen or the timeline of that. But what I wanted to focus in on is this article that I read, and it's been verified through multiple news sources, that Facebook is removing anti-quarantine protest events in some states. So this has been an issue, I would say, over the last five years. Google and Facebook are getting more aggressive at literally just censoring, eliminating groups and events from their platform that they deem as not following quote-unquote rules and guidelines that they have set up in, in place. And so this frustrates me. This has frustrated me for a number of years. And if you've ever read the book 1984 or watched the movie, um, as usual, I recommend the book over the movie. It's far better. But we folks are living in a time, and I'm not going to get into conspiracy theory or whatever, but if you read that book, you understand that we live in a time where 1984, again, whatever side of the aisle you're on, is happening right before our eyes. That people's uh, ability to get to truth, uh, get to facts, to trust leaders, 
is at all-time lows. Like there's just, how do we get to the truth? And these companies like Facebook and Google, who we all use, most of us use throughout our day, we have our emails through Gmail and we have our, our Facebook pages, uh, are now being censored, are now being limited and being just deleted and shut out. And I think it's a growing problem in our culture that things like these gatherings, these protests are being just completely vaporized, just eliminated. Now, again, I can understand the other side of the argument, and some will probably push back here on this episode of the podcast. The rationale on one side is, yes, Facebook, way to go. Don't let those people protest in their state capitals because they're going to spread the disease. Again, I think that's a little nearsighted. In my opinion, I feel like people should have the right to protest. And anytime that a government official leader is suppressing people's right to gather and protest their government, um, we should really slow down and consider the ramifications there, the freedom. A lot of people throw that out. My, my rights are being violated, right? I think this is one of those complex situations happening in our culture. I used the metaphor uh, with a friend recently of, you know, whenever there's a, a crime and someone is brought to a judge, you know, there's the crime and then there's the sentencing, right? Like there's the thing that they talk about and like, okay, you either did or did not murder um, your spouse, let's say just in a hypothetical here. And then you go to a sentencing hearing and you are given a sentence. Those are two very separate and defined things and have a lot of different, you know, ramifications. And so I do not argue that the crime, if you will, this pandemic happened. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. It's clear that this thing happened. But there's also the sentence. There's also the second piece that's separate from, which is our response. How we as a nation, as uh, cities and counties and states are responding to the the virus that is the sentence that's the separate thing and it's okay for us to question it's okay for us to debate how we're responding especially folks because it is taking our country into a place where we're going to have 15 16 perhaps 20 percent unemployment rate in this country that is insane and those bad uh numbers are highly correlated. The, the data is out there that bad economy correlates to bad health outcomes and all sorts of uh, issues like suicide, domestic violence, child abuse. All these things are increasing. The longer that we are stay-at-home orders, we are shoved into our houses uh, not all of us have good home situations. Not all of us have good spousal relationships or good home situations with the family that we live with. And so it is a very tough spot that our state and our nation is in. I understand that. But I think not allowing people to gather and protest and to do so peacefully and civilly, you know, I'm always going to be the guy who says, yeah. Do it without violence. I think the people in our state who went 
into Lansing a few weeks ago. Yeah, wear masks. It kind of defeats your argument if you're out there next to people, two feet away from people not wearing masks. Like, you guys look like idiots. And, you know, the 100 people on the Capitol lawn there that the media focuses in on far overshadows the thousands of people in their cars who were following all the guidelines who do have masks on all of that's lost because of the idiots who are not wearing masks but where i want to land the plane today is again back to technology we live in a world where much of our lives are online and we're using private companies like facebook and google and twitter to share our lives and so we have to start asking fundamental questions do these rights that we have in the real world uh, from our constitution, from our government, do they extend into the private companies, into the online space? And it gets really, really, I think, scary when we start to think of a world where we're going to allow Facebook and Google and Twitter to censor and literally vaporize people's opinions and posts and gatherings simply because a team of people disagree with or think that it could lead to violence or could lead to some spreading of a disease. I just think that's a really scary place. And again, I just want to cap it off by saying if you disagree with me, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking it out. Thanks for hearing my opinion. I think that makes America great, to use a phrase from a presidential candidate. What makes America great, friends, is that we are the nation. We are unique in many ways, but one way is that we can coexist. We can live next door to people that we disagree with, people who go to, to different churches or synagogues or mosques, people who don't believe in God, people who live with people of the same gender or are married to people of the same gender, people we disagree with. What makes America great is that we coexist with people that we fundamentally disagree with in a lot of ways. And I think that's something that's getting lost in this hyper-partisan, hyper-political, divided world we live in. We're losing that space where we can disagree with each other in a civil way. I will always seek to disagree and have opinions with people that I disagree with, but doing so in a civil manner. I'm not going to unfriend you. I'm not going to you know, threaten violence. But I think that's that's where America needs to go. It goes back to the messy middle, man, that second episode of our podcast where we talk about the messy middle, man. We've got to find the messy middle as a nation and figure out how we can stop pendulum swinging between the right and the left and the far extremes and try to figure out how to be united in the center and find some things that we agree on not agreeing on everything, not being authoritarian and saying everyone has to think one way, but that we can learn and celebrate our differences. Because after all, that's kind of what we were supposed to be about, as I understand the history of this country. Kind of a rabbit trail, but I hope you've enjoyed this discussion. And uh, yeah, check out the article if you didn't know Facebook is blocking some of these events. In our faith section this week, I'm super excited to share something with you that I've literally shared over the past two decades as a person, as a ministry leader, a pastor, a small group leader. I have shared consistently this prayer 
with countless people, literally hundreds, if not a thousand people, I've shared this prayer. And I think for me, I was reading a book years ago, again, probably 20 years ago now, I was reading a book on spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, and I came across a prayer that revolutionized my prayer life. I think that's fair. That might be a slight overstatement, but it was a prayer, a formulaic prayer that I brought into my daily, if not weekly life. Now, I'll say at the onset that I'm typically not a formulaic prayer guy, meaning I don't like being told what to pray. In my house, I don't have any prayer books Again, no shame on you. Some of some of you have prayer books in your home. Some of you grew up in denominations or traditions where you have been handed a book of prayer or prayers that your church, your denomination uh, prays. Again, no shame here. I didn't grow up in those traditions. I don't have any prayer books. I think the fear, the danger, the, the pushback that I often have to formulaic prayers is that it's hard to resonate your heart with what someone else said. So someone, the danger at times can be that there's your heart's not connected because you're praying someone else's prayer. You're not always going to connect with the words of someone else. And I think biblically speaking from Jesus' uh, leadership, we should pray in conversation to our God. We should pray as Jesus taught us how to pray. And I would argue that he didn't teach us a formulaic prayer, but a way to pray and gave us an example. I don't think God wants to hear the same words from us over and over again. So that's kind of what I want to say on the onset, that I'm not typically a formulaic prayer guy. Again, if you are, no shame. But for me, there are times when I lack the words to pray. Like, after you've been in the Christian journey for a while, your prayers kind of, well, all start to sound the same. And it's easy to fall into this self-centered Western, like, Lord, give me this, I need this. And a lot of those things are legitimate things. You need healing from a disease or a sickness. You have a friend or a family member that you're praying for. Um, it's not that we're always praying for a new car or a new girlfriend or your wife to not be such a jerk, um, whatever sort of need you have. But generally speaking, we can tend to, if we're not careful, our prayers can become very self-centered. It's all about using God to get what we want to improve our lives. That's kind of, I've heard the term vending machine, right? We, we have a, a vending machine. It's in our nature that we want to use God to get what we want. That's kind of the default. I think we all go back to that. And so a benefit, I think, to having formulaic prayers, having a prayer book or prayers that other people have prayed. Um, the Psalms have many of those. In our Bibles, we have prayers that we can pray. Is Sometimes we just run out of words. Like, I'm just sitting here, it's nighttime, and I'm like, okay, I can say the same thing I said last night. I don't really have anything new to say. And it's helpful then, I think, to grab a prayer book, to grab the Psalms, to write down and think about what you want to say to God. And so I found a prayer that's commonly referred to as, drumroll please, the Jesus Prayer. Now, the Jesus Prayer, like, 
is there any other prayer like that's the coolest prayer just with the title it's like dang well that's the prayer we should all pray right jesus prayer and surprisingly you may think oh the jesus prayer right like that's the one that the catholics pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done da, 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 da. like many of you know that by heart right because that's the famous passage in matthew where jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and for many that is a formula prayer. People pray that. But that is not the Jesus prayer, in quotes. The Jesus prayer goes back to, again, like I said in the intro, 407 AD. Parts of this are traced back all the way, way back to 400 years after Jesus' death. So this is a really, really old prayer that Christians have prayed throughout history. This goes back a long, long time. It was made popular, this version that I'm about to share with you was in the 4th century Eastern Orthodox Church. This is when it kind of became a thing, if you will. It became these words specifically. And I find that this prayer has been very helpful. And so I'm going to read it to you share a little bit more, and then lead you in an exercise if you feel comfortable in praying the prayer with me today. And so the prayer goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Very simplistic. Gets, gets right to the point, gets right to the heart. Now, for me, this prayer, and there are many ways that you can pray this prayer, but one of the ways that I want to offer it to you is how I use it in my life and how I think it can be beneficial for uh, certain situations. Where I pray this prayer often, where I incorporate it, is in my yoga practice. So many of you listening do yoga, right? Like it's kind of part of our our podcast that we are Christians who often do things like yoga. If you don't do yoga, that's fine. Try it out though. I think you can't knock it until you try it. That's my opinion. But for me in my weekly yoga practice, one of the poses that we do is called child's pro pose, or depending on your instructor, sometimes they may even call it prayer pose. And as you might imagine, if you've never done yoga before, the position that you're doing in yoga is you're on your knees and your arms are laid out flat on the mat in front of you and your head is down towards the mat. Like you're praying, you are down as low as you can go, bent over before your yoga instructor. But in that moment, it can be, again, you in prayer position, a prayer posture before God. So that's one way that I've used this prayer, again, in, in a yoga practice. Another way that I think, and I've heard this prayer be used, that it's helpful, is when you're filled with anxiety or even having a borderline, if not a full-on panic attack. We live in a season, we live in a situation where there is a ton of uncertainty, and often in uncertainty leads to anxiety. People become fearful and just freaking out, kind of this unsettled getting worked up inside of you. And so this prayer with breathing, breathing exercise, can be a profound relaxation, centering, whatever terminology you want to use here, getting your mind back focused where it should be. 
That's what this prayer can do for you. And so, as I mentioned, if you're comfortable, if you're not driving and you're in a space where you want to pray the prayer right now, I'm going to lead you in that. And again, this is maybe weird for some of you. Maybe you've never done something like this. Totally cool. If you don't want to do it, you want to just listen and kind of wait till the end of the episode. That's cool. But I'm going to encourage you to maybe take an uncomfortable step. Those of you who've never prayed this prayer before, you've never prayed a prayer before, I'm giving you an easy on-ramp today to pray a prayer. Maybe your for, your first prayer. I'm giving you a tool in the tool belt if you suffer from anxiety. I'm giving you something to fill your mind with when you do yoga if you're a person who does yoga. And so... Here we go. Basically, the idea is is that there are parts of this prayer, right? It's a very simplistic prayer. It's got four parts. Lord Jesus Christ, part one. Son of God, part two. Have mercy on me, part three. A sinner, part four. So we're kind of breaking up into four parts. And what I'm going to teach you is with your breath, again, like in yoga, you're breathing in and inhale, and then you're exhaling, right? Okay, we're kind of getting into a yoga flow right now. You're just breathing in, breathing out. And I'm kind of overdoing the exhalation so you can hear it in the uh, microphone here. But the idea is, is that you pray it with breaths in between, okay? And so as you're breathing in, you pray... Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, you see? So again, let's try it just one more time. So you're breathing in, and again, this can be in your head. It doesn't have to be out loud. And that's one of those, like, it's kind of hard to be breathing in, especially if you're making the noise I'm making. But it's this idea of breathing in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, again, in a podcast form, maybe in the situation you're in listening to this, it doesn't work. I get that. You're sitting in a crazy atmosphere. You're listening on a walk, on a hike, or, you know, in your car, whatever. It doesn't work. That's fine. I'm just giving you, again, a template something that I've used in my life over the last two decades that I've found profoundly helpful, specifically when you don't have words to say, or you want to freshen up your prayer life, or again, you're dealing with things like anxiety. To me, this isn't the only prayer as Christians we should pray. God wants to hear a lot of things from us, not just a formulaic prayer from the fourth century, but this can be a good addition to your prayer life, a supplement, if you will. So I hope you got something out of that. I hope that some of you will use this prayer. I know some from my small groups over the years have said that it's been uh, an awesome addition to their prayer life. So I hope it blesses you, and I hope it ultimately uh, draws you closer to, to God. Well, sadly, it's time to end this year, episode nine. We hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. Please join the conversation over on our Reddit. Also like and interact with us on our Instagram and Facebook page. 
Lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email us at culturedchristians at gmail.com or share them via text or voicemail at 810-207-5717. And we'll see you in the next one.